Distance balls. Sure, they go far, but do they do anything else? The new ERC Soft does. Callaway completely reinvented the way a distance ball performs. Engineered with a new, fast, hybrid cover and a graphene-infused dual soft-fast core, it's a new kind of distance ball, one that actually feels soft and spins more. And once you're on the green, ERC Soft's triple track technology will help you dial in your alignment. Get Callaway's longest ball with soft feel today at callawaygolf.ca. We're in the thick of an election campaign right now, and just as the writ was about to drop, Another controversy hit the Justin Trudeau liberals in relation to the SNC-Lavalin scandal. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. Today, National Post columnist Andrew Coyne walks us through the latest and how it could impact Trudeau's re-election hopes. There's a survey in our show notes. I'd love it if you took the time to fill it out. It'd be a big help to us. Don't forget also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen, and please leave us a rating and a review. So, Andrew, as the writ was set to drop on the campaign, the government was hit with another controversy surrounding the SNC-Lavalin scandal. The government, citing cabinet confidentiality, reportedly denying Mounties access to potential witnesses in its investigation. How serious is this? It's potentially quite serious, uh, if only because it reminds people about the whole controversy, which was certainly very damaging to the Liberals in the spring. People were wondering whether when the Ethics Commissioner's report coming out, came out finding that the Prime Minister had uh, violated the Conflict of Interest Act, whether that would add fuel to the fire, whether it would further depress their poll results. It didn't, because uh, at that point, it sure it seemed like it had been all kind of priced in, as it were. But when you start talking about an RCMP, investigation, inquiry, whatever you want to call it, and when these, this pattern emerges of them refusing uh, to allow people who have witnessed have evidence they can give the uh, the Mounties refusing to allow them to do that, uh, that starts to look very disturbing. You know, it's one thing to say we're not going to let you talk in front of the uh, ethics committee or the justice committee of the, the Commons, but when you start talking about the cops, um, that gets you into serious waters. And as we head into the campaign, Justin Trudeau appears to be not talking a lot about much of anything other than kind of the daily announcement on the campaign. It doesn't appear he's taking uh, questions when he makes announcements. How does this potentially play into the strategy of the liberals as they're campaigning? Well, it, it, it's, it's a, it's part and parcel. I mean, they've also, he's announced he would not take part in two of the five debates, uh, not taking questions from the reporters. They're taking a very low risk, uh, no questions type of, of approach. That's not unheard of. We've seen that from previous prime ministers and we've seen that from people who were viewed as being the front runners in the race. Um, I think the the data shows the liberals are in front in terms of people's ex- expectations of how many seats they're going to get. It's very close in terms of the popular vote. So it's not as if they're home free or anything, but they're certainly playing a, playing a very safe campaign so far. Now, as you were saying earlier, when this all broke in February, the liberals took a huge hit at the polls. But when the ethics commissioner's ruling came down and and now this report about cabinet confidentiality stymieing investigators, it, it doesn't seem to be making as much of a dent. What would it take for this to hurt the liberals during the campaign? Well, it may be hurting them, of course, in ways that we're not necessarily aware of. So there's the issue itself, and then there's the sort of resonance that goes around it. And if it um, causes people to look at the prime minister and look at, look at him with less trust, if it raises questions about his credibility 
and there's some evidence of that in the polling data, then that can hurt them in ways that aren't to do directly with the issue. In other words, it just affects how people view the prime minister. Uh, so there's that. Secondly, of course, if it were to come out about, the, 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 if their further evidence were to come out about what the RCMP were looking into. Now, they have reportedly put a pause on this operation, quote unquote, which is not officially an investigation yet for all that that matters. Presumably, they've, they've downed tools, as it were, for the rest of the campaign. So that's unlikely. But as I say, coming back to this question of why would they not lift the cabinet confidentiality in the specific instance of people who have evidence that they might otherwise give, first of all, the ethics commissioner who complained that nine witnesses had been un- unable to give him evidence. Uh, but secondly, in the, in the case of the RCMP inquiry, uh, why would you not? What's the argument against releasing them from those bonds in this in a matter of this gravity if you were really and truly interested in getting to the bottom of it, which presumably any prime minister would be. Uh, that question remains hanging in the air. It remains a, a, a question about the prime minister's credibility in that regard. Whether that will continue to be a front of mind issue for the rest of the campaign, of course, is a very different matter. If the line from the government has been for so long that they didn't really do anything wrong, or the people who may have done wrong were held accountable and they left their positions. Why would they be trying to hide behind this veil of cabinet confidentiality? Well, it's always been a good question throughout this thing. But what we've seen is every time the prime minister actually addresses it directly, he usually tries to avoid it, he gets himself into trouble. He says things that simply aren't true. For example, when the Globe and Mail report first came out, uh, all of which has been substantiated since, uh, the line from the prime minister was this, the allegations in the story are false. And then even on the day it was, became apparent the allegations to which he was responding were not allegations that were in the story. He was, he was issuing the classic non-denial denial where you deny charges that haven't directly been made. And subsequently from that, he claimed, for example, that she had never brought up the matter with him personally. And, you know, the evidence shows that she did. So he does seem to be very nervous around this subject. When people aren't willing to tell a story or tell a story that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, it does leave you with the suspicion that the real story is something that's not particularly um, to his uh, to his fa- favor, to his benefit. Uh, they've been scrupulously scrupulous about trying to prevent further evidence from coming out, whether it's been uh, closing down these committee hearings or whether it's been putting very limited release on the waiver or waiver on the confidentiality for J- Jody Wilson-Raybould, where she was allowed to say some things about sometimes, but not others about others. Uh, the, the, the impression, certainly, that it's given off is of a government and a prime minister that is anything but interested in getting the full story out about this. What do you make of the idea that there's a lot of people, either liberal sympathizers or, or even members of the liberal party, who suggest, well, you know, it wasn't a crime, uh, it's a minor fine, it doesn't add up to a lot. What do you make of that argument? The standard that we expect or should expect of people in public office is not merely that they avoid committing actual crimes. Uh, that's an old uh, rhetorical device. Jean Chrétien used to resort to it. That somehow, if, you know, unless you're somebody's being led away in, in handcuffs, uh, that nothing uh, untoward or unethical or inappropriate has happened. And that's, first of all, should not be the standard. Second of all, it's been pretty clearly established that they put pressure on her uh, to intervene in a, in a criminal prosecution on the behalf of a firm with a lot of ties to the Liberal Party and with where they had political interests involved. 
that is highly improper. It is highly improper for anybody political to be messing around in a criminal prosecution. There's just no ambiguity around this. I know people have tried to introduce ambiguity as to maybe the prime minister can do this or that when he's talking to the uh, attorney general. He cannot put pressure upon her and neither can anybody else in the cabinet uh, to make a particular decision about a criminal prosecution. And she would only in the most extreme circumstances intervene with the director of public prosecutions. That job was set up in 2006 to be independent of the attorney general, just as the attorney general in these matters is supposed to be independent of the cabinet. So we were setting it up with two layers of buffer, if you will, against political interference. So that's a very serious matter if people start messing around with that. What came out in the ethics commissioner's report that added, I think, new shades of, of darkness to this was that when when you started talking to some of the other people involved, they weren't just putting pressure on her. They were conspiring behind her back. They were making all kinds of decisions and working hand in glove with SNC-Lavalin to try and basically subvert uh, this prosecution. Uh, that gets you, when you start talking about deceiving and getting around people and, and, and working behind their back, behind the duly constituted uh, highest law officers in the country, uh, that's when it starts to edge closer to potential uh, criminality. And, and that may well be why the RCMP uh, started to nose about it than this. I note that in a recent interview, Ms. Wilson-Raybould, who had earlier and famously said that she didn't think uh, any laws had been broken, uh, is not so sure now. So if the campaign, at least for the liberals, doesn't hinge on the, the ethics question, what is the ballot question for voters when it comes to Trudeau? The short answer is nobody knows. And I, I know we in the pundit business like to announce what we think the ballot questions are. And my standard response to this is there's, you know, 20 million ballot questions. Everybody's got their own particular mm -hmm. reasons. There's no doubt that how people view the prime minister, having said that, that how, how people view the prime minister will be a very important part of this election. He was an enormous asset to them, as it turned out in 2015, after, after starting out with a lot of doubts about him. People had a good look at him in the course of that very long campaign. And by the end of it, you know, the Tory question had been, or the Tory line had been, he's not ready. And by the end of that campaign, a sufficient number of people said, well, yes, we think he is. And they were willing to take a chance on him, if you will. Uh, four years later, uh, he doesn't look nearly as idealistic or as pure as he might have looked then, maybe inevitably or maybe not. Uh, there's been a lot of broken promises. There's been a lot of ethical questions. There's been a lot of uh, high-handed treatment of parliament. And he's come to look more and more, <laughs> maybe the most damning comment for a liberal, like the prime minister and the government he replaced. So by now, he is much less of the asset that he once was for the party. And that's, of course, a danger when you invest so heavily in the persona and image of a single person uh, because the public happens to be in love with him at a particular point. Uh, you're in bad shape if the, if the public turns sour on him. And certainly a fair number of the public have. That, again, may change in the course of the campaign. Sometimes people have another look at you and they compare you to the alternatives. And it's certainly possible that people in this course of this campaign will say, well, we, you know, we're not keen on some of the things he did, but we think he's better than the alternatives. So it is to some extent uh, a referendum on the prime minister, but the, the liberals will be doing their best and with some justice to say this isn't just an up or down vote on the prime minister. This is a choice between alternatives. Uh, and you know, do you actually prefer uh, the platforms and leaders of the other parties. And that uh, that will obviously come into play as the election goes on. Back when this broke in February, conservative leader Andrew Scheer talked about the need for the prime minister to step down. He had to soften that stance a little bit. And uh, on the report about 
cabinet confidentiality. He suggested, well, you know, the prime minister needs to order uh, the cabinet be allowed to to speak to the RCMP. Has Sheer and the Conservatives played this well enough to make it have any electoral impact, or have they kind of dropped the ball on being the voice of reason and the body to hold the government to account? Uh, more the latter. I mean, it has had, a, a, a as, you, as we mentioned earlier, it certainly had a large impact on the government uh, in the spring in terms of the headline poll number, and I think it's had a lingering impact on the prime minister's credibility. But uh, the conservatives and the conservative leader, Andrew Scheer, have not really contributed a great deal to that. Uh, it was a mistake uh, for Scheer, in my view, to have uh, demanded the prime minister step down when we were very early in this whole matter. There were still a lot of questions and still are a lot of questions to be answered about that. And in a sense, uh, you know, when you, in our system, asking the prime minister to step down is basically asking the government to step down. And so close to an election, I think a lot of people might have said, well, the, the better way to resolve this is to have it to put to the people in, in a vote. Uh, so it will definitely be a major issue in the course of the campaign. And, you know, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, I think he was on firmer ground and is on firmer ground in, in demanding that the prime minister present the evidence that the police are seeking or were seeking, uh, that there should there cannot be any good, credible reason uh, not to. He certainly can't hide behind this pretext that the clerk of the Privy Council has decided and therefore he has nothing to do with it. The clerk works with the prime minister. If the prime minister were, were to instruct the clerk, uh, as he has on previous occasions and as, as previous prime ministers have, uh, to release people from their oath of, of cabinet confidentiality, then the clerk would be bound to do so. He works for the prime minister. So he's not been particularly honest in his response about that question either. And so that was a, a better and more measured um, intervention by the conservative leader on that matter. The final point I would make on that is if he really wants to make yards on this, in my opinion, it's not a matter just of prosecuting the prime minister. I mean, I know that's what opposition leaders like to do is just point out what's wrong with the other guys. Uh, but if he's going to make any real gains, it seems to me, with the public, then he's got to show a bit more evidence that that this would not happen. Uh, nothing like this would happen under a conservative government, which would be under the same electoral pressures that presumably were part of the reason uh, the liberals did this, that they were afraid of the the reaction in Quebec and felt they had to step in. I, I don't think rightly, but that may well have been a big part of their motivation. And and it doesn't take a fool, to, or it doesn't take an expert, I should say, to look at the uh, the conservatives' ambitions in Quebec and to realize that they would also have uh, be under the same sorts of pressures. And if they would respond better and not mess around with a criminal prosecution for political reasons, then uh, I, I just think that we need to see more evidence of that. It's not enough just to say so. That I'd like to see some firmer undertakings of what kind of measures they would put in place to be sure that this, would, this sort of thing would never happen again. Back in the 2015 election, the conservative government was facing down their own scandal. How does this compare in your mind to the Duffy Wright affair? It's a good question. That one also, I mean, both what was similar about them was that rather than simply come out and, and lay out all the facts and put people in front of a press conference and have them answer all the questions the press had to answer, in both cases, there was this dribs and drabs and things coming out, you know, a little bit at a time and everybody looking like they got lots and lots to hide, even if they didn't. I mean, that's the thing is you wind up looking worse perhaps sometimes than even the facts might point you, at least I hope so. Uh, so in both cases, they took what might have been a relatively uh, brief story and turned it into, in the, in the case of the Wright Duffy, I think it went on for two years. What's similar also, of course, is that they both 
uh, came out or they, they were critical events in both of them in the early stages of the campaigns. The Wright Duffy, the, the, the Senator Duffy trial uh, was going on the first two or three weeks of the 2015 campaign. And on this campaign, we had the RCMP story uh, breaking just as the campaign was was launching. So there's no doubt that they both cast a, a shadow over their respective governments. And of course, if you go back to 2004 and 2006, you had those elections taking much taking place very much under the shadow of the sponsorship scandal. So we've had our share of um, of governments uh, getting into hot water and uh, and either paying or not paying a price for it politically. Ultimately, it was the undoing of the uh, Chrétien Martin liberals. Uh, and we'll see what, and, and you could well argue that the right Duffy affair contributed mightily to the, the downfall of Stephen Harper's government, which came in promising to clean everything up after the sponsorship scandal. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what effect it has on the fortunes of the Trudeau government, which came to power, you know, promising to clean up what was, uh, what the, the mess that had been left up, left, left by the Harper conservatives. I mean, this is an old recurring pattern. You know, Kretchen came in, he was going to clean up the mess left by Mulroney. And Mulroney came in saying he was going to clean up the ethical mess left by the Pierre Trudeau liberals. So uh, you could forgive the voters for being rather cynical about the conduct of our politics and the ethical standards of the people therein. That's a circle of life in Canadian politics, I guess. <laughs> Andrew, thanks very much for your time. My pleasure. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Additional production from Scott Gill. Theme music from Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Andrew Coyne. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. <laughs>